Let's get to it. It is the People's Show broadcasting live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. I'm Bic Nazar, Dominic Schmatty with me and running this show. And, of course, you as well chiming in. Part of the people's show, 650-650, into the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox, the smart alternative. Visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. We'll connect with our guy, Ken Priestley, Mr. Fix-It, in about 15 minutes from Dunbar Lumber. It's Thursday. We'll also talk to Adnan Verk, as we do every Thursday here on The People's Show. Uh, it is a Canucks game day as well. Uh, they got the pregame show coming up on Canucks Central, which is on TV as well today, uh, with Dan Riccio, Satyar Shaw, myself, and Sat on the postgame later today as well as the Canucks get ready to play the Anaheim Ducks at 7 o'clock. And it's Kevin Bieksa Day as well. Happy uh, KB3 Day to those that celebrate. And realistically, everybody uh, should be celebrating. Uh, it's, a, it's a day like today. Uh, a lot of memories get brought up, and that's what today is for. Uh, an opportunity not only for uh, Bieksa to have some closure, but a chance for the fans uh, to do something that every fan should want to do. Let's pay it back. Moments like tonight, not just what people dream of as sports fans, obviously championships and everything, but... This is what fans want, to give it back to the player. You earned it. You deserve this after 10 years in this city, sacrificing your body for the enjoyment of fans. You pushed it to the pinnacle of achievement. And fans want to to stand up. Honor you for however many minutes they will tonight and salute you one last time. Uh, Because for 10 years, uh, you've given them reasons to cheer, uh, perfecting your craft. And you've given fans moments of euphoria. Uh, just uh, when, when seconds prior, it was always tense, and and nobody more than Kevin Bieksa will know that. Obviously, uh, tension uh, relieving overtime goals uh, with the puck off a stanchion into the back of the net, and we've seen it time and time again uh, for athletes everywhere. But Vancouver gets their opportunity for a a defenseman in this city, and you know he he met with media today, uh, talking about memories, but also talking about what he said to the players here in Vancouver playing now. And we can sit here and say, hey, what do those memories and moments mean to a player? We get to remember games and fights and goals, but what stands out to the individual? And he gave an answer that was rather striking. Not a sexy answer. Uh, It wasn't one that leads to conversations in your group chats and hanging out at bars pregame. You're talking about, hey, what was your favorite Brexit memory? It wasn't just about that. Now, he was asked about what he said to players today, but it was very much something that we discuss with today's team. He was asked about what he had to say, and and while we reminisce about on-ice moments, uh, Kevin Bieksa took it a different way, talking about team culture. I didn't want to preach to the players. I'm not their coach, but I, I think I just spoke a little bit of, which I think they can have, you know, they can relate to, is, is the culture. I think that the thing that I'm the most proud of with my tenure with the Canucks was not, not the finals, not, you know, the, uh, the president's trophies. It was the culture we had here for a good, I'd say a good, like, six to ten years. Um, and I knew it was good because when players would come from other teams, 
or Bo would come up, our draft picks, they would tell us, this is a good culture. This is something special. Guys from other teams that had played for like 10 years, like this is special. And the culture was so special because there was a lot of us that were uber competitive with each other. We all wanted to be better than the other person. We all battled and we all tried to perfect our craft, whether it was tipping pucks in front of that. This is it's almost verbatim what I told these guys this morning, but it was just about having pride in what you do, being competitive about it, and pushing each other. And I think that, you know, that's that's the, the sign of a good team with a good identity. Surprised to hear that. Uh, you know, an opportunity to reflect upon everything that he'd done in his career, but that's the thing. Not the trophies, not the accolades. It's It's what was established as a group of people uh, crafting out an identity. And look, I harp on that I that I word so much. And I know culture gets talked about on and on and on. But I think one of the reasons we talk about it so much is this is an organization that doesn't really have it right now. And it's important to establish it. And where that comes from, to be determined, I think. You could say, hey, is it the coaching staff's responsibility to set that culture? I know Patrick Alvin, even just last week, was reiterating about culture and raising the standards and finding new standards for an organization. It's a chase that they're going to have to figure out. And when you think about where that gets set right now and who is setting it, it I know we sit here and talk, well, JT Miller can be a good leader, but Horvat can be a good leader. Oliver Ekman Larson can be a good leader. Right now, a lot of people, it's not just the players, a lot of people are falling short. And, you know, one person I kind of look at right now, and he's in a very tough spot because he's, you know, we went through the summer of is he going to return and is he not going to return and what should the Canucks do with Bruce Boudreaux? Right now, the, the, the coaches are part of the culture. And we're looking at this right now, and, and we'll see tonight's lineup. But once again, you know, a- after a loss, the defense remains without a player that a lot of people are excited about. Jack Rathbone, who, by the way, also wears number three for Kevin Bieksa. I, know I see Ian texting in. Is uh, is it a reti- jersey retirement tonight? No, it's not a jersey retirement. It's uh, Someone's wearing his old number. But, you know, one of the things about culture and, and identity is accountability, too. And we've seen players not succeed and have results lead to L's and no lineup changes on the blue line. And someone like Jack Rathbone, who, again, in the preseason, were there flaws? There absolutely were. In the regular season, I haven't seen as many. And where's that level of accountability? How are you supposed to create a culture when when players are succeeding in games that you won in? How come it isn't translating to more minutes? Tanner Pearson can take penalties, critical penalties, devastating penalties, and not just late in game. We're talking offensive zone penalties. It's, it's, it's not just one now. It's multiple. And we know where this team is right now at killing penalties. They end up in the back of the net real fast, 8 seconds, 14 seconds, 13 seconds, a bunch under 15 seconds. These are devastating penalties that are taking an offensive zone situations, advantageous spots, hounding a four-checker, and lazy penalties. But end of game, when you need a goal, you know who's out there? Tanner Pearson. So we've had this conversation when that seven-game losing streak was happening. And you know, on the post-game show, sat myself, pushed back a lot and saying, well, you, you can't make any decisions on the coaches. 
And I, I still really believe that. I absolutely believe that. It's it's too early in the season. But as the evidence continues to mount here of what this season, and I don't think it's been a good season by Bruce Boudreaux, but it's 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 the type of thing bad organizations do. Not give a coach even 82 games, even though this was very interim. But as we get to game 20, as we get to game 25, as we get to game 30, if these types of decisions keep mounting and you're trying to craft that identity, trying to raise the standard of an organization, change the culture of an organization, how can it be done? How can you assume at the player level it's going to be done? And there's Kevin Bieksa talking about it. Yeah, what we built here as a culture among the players was something I'm really proud of. What's the example that they're trying to build it off of? I look at above, and coaching is where it comes from. And right now, it's not there. It is absolutely not there. Because you just see it in the ice time that gets allocated. Some of the younger players, you know, Vasily Putkolzin, obviously last game, the turnover leads to a goal. But I, I haven't looked at him and say, this guy deserves to be getting seven minutes a night, nine minutes a night. He should be trending closer to 13, 14, 15 minutes a night. But we haven't seen that materialize. And then how does that bleed into the players? Man, we haven't seen a lot of accountability right now from the players. Yeah, there was a players-only meeting after three games, which is alarming in its own way. But right now, that culture, that, that, that there's someone that's going to get applauded tonight who spent 10 years in this organization, sacrificed time and time again, Scratched and clawed for every opportunity, uh, talking about the culture that was created. Uh, not so much uh, living up to the standard that uh, was set previously. 650, 650. Uh, good reactions coming in. Iron Blair. Think of Stetcher, Tanev, McEwen, Gadjevich. Uh, those players are the ones you need on a good team. Resigning Pearson instead of Toffoli. This team is a joke. Now, I, I, I push back on some of those guys. Uh, McEwen and Gadjevich as far as setting a culture, but certainly uh, Tana was part of that. Absolutely. Uh, 650, 650. Ross and Richmond, culture comes from the players. It's about making time for each other off the ice and holding each other accountable on the ice. Uh, it's the same for any level. Uh, some teams just play and that's it. Other teams play a long time, grab drinks, enjoy life together. Uh, and work that much harder to bring the team together. That seems to be missing right now from the Canucks. That is Ross in Richmond, 650-650. You can be part of the show. Uh, this one, Keith, the water guy. When you give two rookies top-line minutes in Pedersen and Hughes, it will upset the veteran players. They didn't earn their spots. They were handed everything on a silver platter. That's Keith, the water guy. I think they kind of earned a lot of it on the way. The accolades came with it. Uh, Calder Trophy for Elias Pedersen. Certainly proven his worth uh, out of the gate. I mean, he scored early. Look how many goals he scored when he first arrived in the NHL. He, he, he belonged. And it's not as if the team was Stanley Cup level and you, and, and you had to keep him out of the – make him earn his minutes. He was able to beat a lot of those players that were on those rosters. Uh, but right now, it's, it's something this team needs to craft. And I, I'm not convinced this is the group that's going to be able to do it. Uh, this one, uh, you're a fish, flip-flop all day long, every time I listen to this radio station. Uh, the, the I think we're talking about uh, flipping on Bruce Boudreaux. I, I think it's important because after seven games, I think it's important to have that discussion, though. After seven games, it's too little. 
and especially after what he did last season. But now this is growing evidence into the season, and we're going to get later, we're going to get into December, and if this team is still playing 400-ish hockey, that conversation on Bruce Boudreau is going to intensify. In October, it didn't make sense to me. Talk to me back in December. Will this persist? And and, and these are the decisions I want to see to to get rectified, because you know Riley Stillman going to play again today. I, I just haven't seen anything to keep Jack Rathbone out of the lineup for from Riley Stillman. And this is the thing. It's our, our, how can you start to build all the things that matter for an or for an organization when historically, when we go through this, we, we say, you win. How come those guys come out of the lineup? It's not injury-based. It's merit-based. Riley Stillman has no track record here. It's not Brock Besser coming back in the lineup, someone who scored 25 goals repeatedly for this organization, say, okay, you're back in the lineup. We're talking about a player that was just acquired recently who has not played well, and Jack Rathbone remains on the sidelines. I don't get it. I don't get it. And these are the, the, the things that this coaching staff is – these are the decisions they're making. And how does this translate to wins? If you're going to make big decisions like this, they have to translate to wins. And right now, they just aren't. Brian and Abbotsford, the team culture. That is it. I was trying to put my finger on it, but the team looks like a bunch of guys who know how to play hockey together instead of a bunch of guys playing together as a team. That is Brian in Abbotsford, uh, 650-650. It's already coming in. Can we get the lottery simulator going at least once per show? Uh, not quite yet. Sack got mad at me one of these post-game shows uh, when I br- brought up the uh, lottery simulator. I just wanted to confirm the odds, but Sack was like, really? You're bringing up the lottery simulator after game seven? Dom's nodding to me. Yeah, you absolutely should do that. Not not, not quite yet. Uh, this one, uh, 650-650. Do you think Boudreaux has pressure from above to keep Myers Pearson, who is not playing that well because of a contract, still to keep them on the ice? No, but I, I think it, it's, it's just coaches' bias. They're going to shade towards veteran players time and time again. Uh, but it, it's it's the ones that I don't understand, like like Riley Stillman over Jack Rathman. That's the one I don't get. I just don't get it. You haven't picked up a win with Stillman in the lineup. Jack Rathbone has. I don't understand why he he uh, finds himself on the outside looking in. Let's talk to our Mr. Fix-It from Dunbar Lumber, two-time cup champion, former NHLer Ken Priestley joining us on the show. Ken, how are you doing? Not bad, not bad. It's a little wet out in Delta, but uh, we're surviving. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, it's it's. I personally it's like pretty the... Pretty much wet everywhere. Uh, right <laughs> I was going to say, I personally like the... Uh, the, the, the fall weather, but uh, I'm sure it's not for everyone. Uh, so yeah, I started yeah. off the show talking here, uh, culture, and it was what Kevin Bieksa referenced when he uh, met with media today that, you know, he reflects back on obviously his, his career, but it's not just about trophies or, or accolades and division titles. He was really proud of the culture that was established and, and getting that respect from peers when they came to the organization and say, hey, it's different here. You know, when you played... Who set the culture? Where does it come from? Um, is, is it mandated by the players? Is it set by the organization? Is it the coaching staff? How does that start to develop? I, I think it starts with the group of players. I mean, I, I was uh, I was traded to a team, uh, obviously from Buffalo to Pittsburgh, and and it was pretty much already set there. Uh, the, you know, they had a they had a pretty good team. They had obviously great leaders. They had uh, 
uh, a lot of veteran presence. Um, sometimes when you get uh, when you get players that come in and, and, and mix in with a group, sometimes uh, you know maybe it doesn't work. But uh, the stronger personalities and uh, and the, and the team, if you're going to has those stronger personalities, you just kind of gravitate to that, right? That's kind of how it works. And 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 there's a there's a there's a way to get involved with your team and, and make good relationships and there's a way not to. And, uh, you know, sometimes it's, uh, it's a difficult thing to sometimes though achieve. I think now so more than ever, just because of the way the game is now with, uh, stronger personalities from top to bottom. And, um, but yeah, I think it is definitely a key part to success. That's for sure. And I think if you have a disgruntled dressing room or if you have disgruntled players, um, your teammates do know about it for sure. Well, not even just disgruntled. Uh, I, I would kind of la- label this group's culture as anonymous just because it hasn't been defined. And, and they've kind of gone through this cycle now long enough that I don't know if it'll ever get defined. And in this well, moment, like because it hasn't been crafted, I kind of look at the coaching staff and say, like, this is the group that kind of has to set it to maybe the players get to follow it. And I'm left asking a lot of questions of the coaching staff right now because of some of the lineup decisions we see. Like Stillman stays in and Rathbone can't get in. I don't think he's done anything wrong, but it just if he was in the lineup for winning games and then we see changes thereafter. Yeah, that that's difficult. I mean, as, as a player, as a player, you kind of just roll with how what you're told to do. And um, mm-hmm. sometimes you you obviously you, you, you can't you can't change their, you know, coaches decisions. You can't change GM's decisions. You can't really dictate whether you go up or you go down, right? In, in, in my case, uh, you know, there was times where I felt, uh, hey, I'd played really well that night and I was playing in the NHL at the time. And then soon enough before you, uh, before you, uh, before you know it, the, uh, the game's over, you felt like, oh, I can stick around another day. And then all of a sudden you got a GM or a coach coming in and saying, hey, you got another plane ticket back to Rochester. So, you know, you can't really, you can't really help uh, what management or the coaching staff is going to do. You can just kind of, hopefully look after your own look after your own self by working as hard as you possibly can and, and trying to stay in the lineup um sometimes that is also what uh what players look at like they maybe are a little bit confused well how come this person is not in the lineup right and it and it it kind of from the top down you got to make sure that you you are making sure that the right the right people are in the lineup the right combination of people are in the lineup it's it's a, it's a tough thing to it's a tough thing to perfect. It, it's a, it's a fragile, it's a fragile thing, right? If you make one mistake, um, right. you know, you're, you're damned if you do damned if you don't. And, and if you make the right mistake, you're a genius. So sorry, if you make the right decision, you're a genius. It's just, it's sometimes it's hard, but, uh, it, it right now, I mean, I went to the Pittsburgh game, uh, uh, you know, a week ago and, and it was a fantastic outing and I thought everybody had a great game and, and here we are back on a roll. And then I thought the team came out, you know, against, uh, against uh sorry i forgot who they just jersey, played here yeah but against jersey which was kind of the same team um you know a lot of offense a lot of fast moving pucks i mean it was just it was kind of same thing here we go and it was kind of flat and i was kind of uh i was kind of taken back i wonder why that happened right and then uh you know you find out that there's uh you know just some things going on in the dressing room or maybe there isn't things going on but you can see how that might be a play a part in this whole thing 
you know, because it started the way it has, right, and it's two wins in ten, and if we were talking even six out of ten, uh, and, and they'd managed to pick up 12 some odd points, it, it, I feel like it would be completely different because you have that back door of, okay, we got these points and there, there are success, and when decisions are made, uh, whether in-game or pre-game, you can say, okay, at least we're having success. But without that culture, because the, the reason I think it's important is – when things go wrong, you have something you can rely upon. This is what we are. This is who we are. We can rely on this, and we'll get ourselves out of it. But when you don't have that, and it's losing now, I just feel like everything spirals so much faster. If 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 you don't have an identity as a team, uh, whether you're going good or you're going bad, um, it it seems to amplify itself that much more. Um, if you if you're if you're a consistent uh, group that knows exactly what. Uh, what you're doing and what you're supposed to be doing. If you know as a player or as a line or as a group exactly how we're going to be, you'll take the goods and the bads, right? You're, you're, at least everybody knows that this is what we went in going in to do tonight. This is what we do on a regular basis. This is what makes us the best possible Vancouver Canuck team. If everybody's following that same page or if everybody's on that same bus, uh, it's easy to follow. But um, if, it's, if there's confusion in any way, Sometimes that makes it difficult because uh, everybody, again, is going to go back to what they do best in, 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 in times of, of, of difficulty, right? You're, if, you, if, this team can't, uh, if this team can't score, uh, you know that your, your, your star players or your scorers are maybe going to go a little bit more solo than they would if the team was going good where they knew they would give the puck up and they would get it right back again. Or, or there was there was other help there, but uh, it's definitely a little bit of a, a different change for them. I think uh, I mean, there's there's not really there's not really an identity that you can see, and um, I think you're seeing that in some parts of their game. Uh, you mentioned uh, last Friday how you know the, it was committed performance, and they walk out with the two points, uh, and then they followed up on Tuesday, and and, and they just came out flat. Um, you know the the goals against we we know about the penalty kill. Do you just look at it right now that, that it's an effort problem or are there structural things that you look at and say, oh, this is why they, they, they keep giving up uh, or they keep falling behind in games? Well, you know, I, I honestly don't think that it's um, – I don't honestly don't think that it's a problem with their, their confidence. I mean, the, the, the New Jersey game started out somewhat well. Like mm-hmm. it, was, it, was, it, was, it was a, a back-and-forth game. And then all of a sudden, you, you, you're down by one, you're down by two – and now the doubt would start kicking in, right? And then all of a sudden you're down by three and four, and and that's where the team is fragile. I mean, they still tried to come back as much as possible, but there's there's not too many teams in this league that that are gonna you're gonna dig a four goal hole and you're gonna be able to come out of. Um, you know, as, as as long as you're in the game and you know you have a chance to win this, you know, things stay positive and, and, and people start, you know, playing the same way. But as soon as things start going south, you can see it. You can see the uh, the heads get down, The um, you know, they start looking at each other. I still, still think it's a very positive positive vibe in that room but there's definitely um some some things that need to get fixed and and if we if we knew what we were we were uh we were all talking about we could fix it instantly but uh uh, you know we're not in that room we don't know how that room is and uh all we can do is analyze it to death and uh and see if we can come up with some answers for ourselves last year we would say hey the identity was goaltending and now when thatcher demko's been in net uh so far this year it hasn't really been as stable as we've seen thatcher demko in pre Previous seasons, uh, how much is that playing a role in, in things right now 
do you feel? Yeah, you know what? I, I still think that you can't blame it on your goalie. I mean, the, the goalie is, is obviously the last line of defense. There's no question about it. And he's the guy who's looked at if there is a goal scored on. You never really look at a defense. Or you never really look at a forward. Um, it's hard. He's a very good goaltender. There's no, I don't think there's anybody in that room that is going to blame it on the goalie. I think they, if there's a breakdown to happen and there's a odd man situations all the time, you know, two on ones, three on twos, breakaways. I mean, he's going to come up with some saves, but he's not going to come up with them all. And uh, I think in the last few games, um, you know, especially against Pittsburgh, he made, uh, Thatcher made some great saves, right? And we, all, the Canucks also started off very well. You know they got a, they got a lead and they and they played with that lead and they didn't take penalties and and they 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 basically were were playing the game that they wanted to do they wanted to keep Pittsburgh to the outside they wanted to limit their chances I mean they took a few penalties at the beginning of the game but they they were able to kill them off so all that kind of stuff just breeds confidence and this is going to be our night and the crowd got behind it you know there's a whole bunch of different things that lead into success but. Uh, you know, sometimes right now they just seem to be uh, a little bit, um, again, fragile in if things are not going our way, we tend to, they tend to amplify themselves. And, and that is very difficult to play with sometimes. Uh, let's uh, leave on something positive here. Uh, Bo Horvat continues to keep scoring goals. Uh, what's that feel like when you're just crushing uh, uh, goals right now in a, in, a, in a short sample size here? There's nothing better than that, right? <laughs> There's nothing better. He's playing great right now. I mean, he's getting uh, he's getting some great looks, some great opportunities. Uh, the goal he scored in Pittsburgh was was fantastic. I mean, that was one of the one of the highlights of the of the year for sure. And uh, he continues to go like that. I mean, he's got some uh, he's got some really good numbers behind him. And uh, if they can, if he can continue to go, hopefully the team is not far behind him. Uh, can we appreciate it as always? Uh, we'll talk next week. Thanks, buddy. Take care. Ken Priestley, our Mr. Fix-It from Dunbar Lumber, two-time cup champion, uh, former NHL player, joins us here on The People's Show. Uh, before we go, uh, let's get to The People's Picks, brought to you by Play Now Sports. Every game will feel like the big game when you bet with Play Now Sports, brought to you by BCLC. Keeping an eye on the Thursday night football game tonight. I was wondering what that music was. Dom, sharp on it as always. Uh, Eagles at Texans. It's 13 and a half points. Uh, I was taking a maintenance day yesterday, so I didn't get a prop in. Uh, I'll do a prop now. I'm going Devonta Smith over four receptions. Just receptions. Pan out at 1.95. Big day for AJ Brown the other day. Got to get Devonta Smith. Got to spread the love around. Uh, get him involved. Uh, Devonta Smith over four receptions, paying off at 1.95. But taking a look at the game, the Texans can't stop the run at all. And they're struggling to put up points. I know it's a large number, a road number on top of that for the Philadelphia Eagles. I just don't know how you take any side but the Eagles. They do play Washington next week on Monday Night Football, so maybe it's a bit of a look-ahead spot. But I'll still back the Eagles here at 13 and a half. Give me the Eagles. Give me Devonta Smith over four receptions. That is the People's Picks brought to you by PlayNow Sports. When you choose to bet on sports at PlayNow.com, you're playing on the only site whose profits go back to BC. Know your limit. Play within it. Uh, good pre-sale opportunity for the uh, Kubota CHL NHL Top Prospects game at the LEC on January 25th. You can log on, 
to VancouverGiants.com slash tickets. Pack includes White Spot Legends Night. That is on November 18th at Kamloops or versus Kamloops. Uh, November 30th versus Moose Jaw. That includes top prospect Braden Yeager as well as Vancouver Giants top prospect Samuel Honzik as well as the top prospects game that's not on sale yet to the general public. Again, visit VancouverGiants.com slash tickets. We got some giveaways today here on the People Show as well. If you call in 604-280-0650, Dom will answer your call. We got uh, four tickets to callers five and six to the Western Semi-Final. If you want to go, 604-280-0650 going down uh, this Sunday, November 6th. Kickoff is at 1.30. Tickets on sale now at bclions.com. But if you want to go check out the Lions and Stampeders, Western Semifinal, 604-280-0650. Callers 5 and 6 walking away with the prize pack here on The People Show. Welcome back to the People Show, broadcasting live from the Kintech studio. A uh, big shout out to Isaac and Kev for winning uh, four pack of tickets to the Western Semifinal Lions and Stampeders going on Sunday. We got more for you tomorrow, but uh, guess what? We also got uh, more things to give away right now. While we are talking to Adnan Verk, so don't just call in just yet. Uh, while we are talking to Adnan, you can call in. Uh, we'll give away a pair of tournament passes to Canada Sevens. Uh, but uh, let's connect with Adnan Verk. But again, if you call in 604-280-0650, uh, while we're talking to Adnan, Don will take your call. And we'll give two away to callers five and six again. Uh, again, for passes uh, for the tournament at BC Place, March 3rd to 5th. Tickets go on sale on Monday at 10 a.m. Uh, it's back bigger and better and fancier than ever. Women's and men's teams teaming up. Uh, for the entire weekend. Let's get to Adnan Verk, who joins us now. Adnan, how are you? I'm doing great, Beck. I was uh, watching the World Series last night. I, came, I was doing hockey yesterday, uh, the pregame show, leading up to uh, my beloved Flyers against the Leafs. I came home, put the kids to bed, watched the World Series, and I said, man, Javier's dealing, especially once the Astros had that big inning against NOLA, put up a crooked number, had a healthy lead. I can't see to lose scoring five, but I also would have not predicted a no-hitter. So I... Uh, you don't have this happen because you're on the West Coast. You're still fresh as a daisy <laughs> when these games go late. But past 11 Eastern, your boy Verk started to get a little sleepy. But I did remember waking up after nodding off and saying, oh, my God, there's going to be no hitter. And I saw the last out. And then I went back to bed and said, wow, I just saw baseball history. That was awesome. Yeah. I, I do want to get to the, the World Series here in just a second. But you mentioned uh, your your beloved Flyers. Uh, are, you, are you enjoying watching them uh, so far? Because we're having this conversation in this city, you know, rebuild and all this sort of stuff and, and what directions of a team. And here's a team that's, you know, changing coaches and changing direction. Uh, early returns. Uh, have, how have you enjoyed watching the Flyers so far? The biggest thing is this, Vic. They've been competitive, they've been feisty, and they've been better than expected. I think if you ask most really knowledgeable hockey people like yourself, the Flyers are in the top half of the league right now. If we rank all the teams, I think Philadelphia's between 14 and 16. I don't think anybody would have said that. I think if you went this year, you go, eh, they're like an 11 seed in the Eastern Conference. They don't have nearly enough offensive juice. They're missing Couturier. They're missing Ellis. They're missing Atkinson. Like, good luck. But Carter Hart has been outstanding. If there's one guy that Tortorella has gotten to, it's Hart. He's third in save percentage at 945. He's eighth in goals against average. That game against the Rangers the other night, 
They were outshot. They were mm-hmm. outchanced by expected goals against average, expected goals for. You want the analytics? The Rangers should have won that game like 5 nothing. Instead, it was one nothing, and the Flyers still got a point because they lost in overtime. So that's an example where a goalie can steal a game for you. And if you tell me at the end of the season the Flyers don't make the playoffs, but Carter Hart is outstanding, then that will alone give me faith and, and justification to root for this team moving forward and, and give me pause. But what I like about it is that Tortorella is unafraid to send a message. My wife is from San Jose originally. She's a Sharks fan. So I took her and my four boys. So it's not cheap, Vic. Six tickets. We're talking like, you know, 12 rows back here. Had to, had to hit up my buddy Scotty Hartnell for good tickets. When did I go? It was last Sunday. And why is that momentous? Because it was just 15 minutes after the Phillies clinched and went to the World Series. Oh, my God. Oh, wow. For those in Vancouver unaware of the geography, Wells Fargo Center, where the Flyers and Sixers play, and Citizens Bank Park and Lincoln Financial Field are all in the same place. I said, oh, my God, this could be worse timing for a Sunday 7 o'clock game, Sharks and Flyers. But somehow we got in there. The Flyers laid an absolute dud. It was terribly uninspired because they just beat Nashville, the classic second game of back-to-back after traveling. Somehow my wife and the 10 Sharks fans there were thrilled that San Jose won. But we did get to see Gritty, which was a huge highlight. And we got a hold of the camera guy, and he was able to show my kids jumping up and down and dancing, wearing flyer paraphernalia and Gritty up on the screen. So I'll tell you this. It was still a good atmosphere because you could tell this Flyers team is punching above their weight. And everyone there on the arena said that. They're not supposed to be good, but they're better than expected. And you just want to see competitive spirit when a team is rebuilding. Tortorella has given them that, that so far. It's strange because it feels like hockey is the only sport where it's like, yeah, just just give us a baseline of effort and competitive spirit. You know, Major League Baseball, we, we've had this conversation of how many teams are not tanking, but just deciding not to be as competitive as they can. And I think attendance can show that, you know, teams are or fans are, aren't willing to put up with certain amount of things. NBA right now, how many teams are tanking? How is that going to get reflected? NFL, okay, maybe a little bit because there is so much turnover in that league. But it, it feels like in the NHL more than any other sport, Sport, it just if, if you show a baseline of want and desire, fans are going to show up all the time. Oh, especially when it's in a hockey match city like Philadelphia. Like the Eagles, obviously, my beloved Eagles are an incredible story right now, unbeaten. We got the Texans tonight. Hopefully, pull off another victory. Obviously, so much focus on the Phillies as they're two wins away from a World Series. But Philadelphia is a great hockey town that goes back to the Broad Street Bullies. It carries all the way through my love affair when Hextall was the goalie. And, of course, Lindros and all the rest of it. So if you can compete and, and play a certain way, the fans are going to show and they're going to be appreciative. And I think that goes for a few teams, particularly in America. I think you get that feeling in Philly, in Boston, in New York, in Detroit, in Chicago. Like those original six teams, and not all of them are going to be good. But if you can just at least give, like you said, an honest effort each night, the fans are going to show. And in most of those cities, you know, it's a niche sport. But that niche is really potent. There's a reason mm-hmm. why Detroit is hockey town, USA. You know, Chicago, obviously, they love the Cubs and the Bears more than the Blackhawks. But when the Blackhawks are rolling, when they won those multiple Stanley Cups, you saw plenty of Kane and Taves jerseys. And obviously, Taves has been terrific so far this year. They're a 500 team, and no one was expecting Chicago to be any good this year. Buffalo right now, like, I don't think they're a playoff team, but TNT is must-watch. Tuck has been great. Skinner has been really good. Like, this could be a team that's in the playoff hunt in March. So, I'm with you. I think in the NBA, even the most passionate fan goes, you know what, the good teams kind of really separate themselves. Mm -hmm. You don't really pay attention until after Christmas Day. But in hockey, it's different. You know how valuable an overtime loss can be. That one point can be the difference 
when there's so much parity in this league. Uh, you mentioned the Rangers. Uh, I, I'm trying to think right now. Like, what is the the short list of uh, New York stars right now? Because I think Judge probably takes it away, running away. Uh, obviously, just the the Yankees and the season he's had. Jalen Brunson's kind of popped onto the scene and, and been nice for the New York Knicks. After you know, some some people wondering if he if he'd be special. But I just I kind of feel like Igor Shosturkin might be number two right now as far as uh, New York City athletes power rankings. Might be a little high. I'd still go with Pete Alonso. People love the Mets. They won 101 games this oh, year. Oh right, you know what? I, I totally uh, forgot about the Mets. Yeah, Scherzer and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I would say I would say there's a few bets I would throw in ahead of Scherzer <laughs> between Alonso and Scherzer and Degrom and Lindor. Like I think those guys still have more cash than Shesterkin. Um, But there's no doubt among the Ranger fans, everyone knows he's the one guy you point to and say he's a superstar. He's a kingpin. He is what Henrik Lundqvist was for so many yeah. years and. You know, the Rangers are an interesting team because, again, expectations have been building over the last couple of years. They're not expected to just be a team because of Shesterkin. and he elevates the entire team. So um, you're right to certainly say if there's a guy that stands out when you're walking along Broadway, it is Shesterkin. But I think he's behind definitely those baseball players. Listen, Giants having a good season right now. I don't think people are in love with Daniel Jones, to your point, but the Giants collectively are a good team. Zach Wilson, the Jets, have been surprisingly good this year. And I think you're right with Brunson. The Knicks are three and four, but... Brunson feels like the point guard they've needed for a while. He's not Donovan Mitchell, but he's better than what they've had in the past. But you're right, plenty of love going in Sisterkin's direction. I guess Saquon's on that list, but he could be going out after the season. Who knows how long that love affair is going to last. Uh, nevertheless, uh, all right, I, I do want to get to the uh, the World Series. Uh, I, I don't know, I, it, it feels like it's been a bit, uh, I don't know if de- detached is the right word, but we haven't really had a compelling game so far uh, through this World Series. I guess yesterday, if you want to talk about the well, no-hitter, but like these haven't been close games. I completely agree, Vic. I, you know, game three, I was busy just running around with my kids doing this and that. So I was annoyed at myself. I'm like, God, I wish I was watching the World Series. I take it so passionately, not just because of how much I love baseball, but because I realize as I'm watching it, there will be no baseball for four months after this. Like, right. I have to savor this and store it up because we're not going to get any more of this. And yet, to your point, as I was watching the other day, game three, I go, it's 7 nothing. Like, there's, there's zero drama mm-hmm. here. Like, I, I'm just enjoying watching baseball. I'm enjoying uh, hearing Joe Davis and John Smoltz in the call, but there's nothing really impactful. Well, game I one, I guess, went to extras, year, yeah. Yeah, at least, at least you get that. I mean, I remember last year's World Series was also kind of bland. Like, there wasn't a game that really stood out. The Braves were a good story. But I remember that first game went like four and a half hours. I'm like, oh, my God. And there was never a lead change. It was never in doubt. I go back two years ago when the Dodgers won the World Series. First three games were also not great, but game four was epic. Remember that incredible finish? A Rosarena rounding third. There was like three errors by the Dodgers in that final play. Our man, Dan Schulman, had a call for the ages on the ESPN Reno. That was awesome. I remember watching that going, okay, that is baseball at its best. That is its apex. But you are absolutely right. So far through four games, we have not had an instant classic. We had something momentous with a no-hitter, but again, it was a lopsided game. So mm-hmm. I, I'm with you. I, I think it's been an interesting World Series. I like the fact it's going to go at least six. But I would like a 3-2 taut affair in the top of the night. That would definitely uh, intrigue me and I think help all baseball fans. Yeah, you know, we, we, we got the no-hitter. We, we, we got some homers as well from the Phillies. And it, and it just feels like it's, it's missing true tension, which is strange to say because baseball playoffs are all about tension. Every pitch matters and every play could, could result in a comeback or a rally. But it, it just feels like it's just lacking something. I don't know if it's uh, – just, just the overwhelming, you know, favorite in, in Houston, or the underdog just kind of gets it right on a day. But whatever it is, it just it feels like it's missing one thing. We'll see Verlander pitch. Do you have an explanation for for what World Series Verlander is? Well, 
incredible. Honestly, Beck, I was thinking about it. My dear friend Ben Lyons, a huge NBA guy. So I said to him, you know, imagine if LeBron James got to the NBA Finals and he scored like 14.3 points per game and he had four assists and two rebounds. That, that's what happens to Verlander. Like, it's, it's wild. I, I've interviewed him before. He is a great guy, conversational, uh, genuine, down-to-earth. He's obviously had an incredible career. If you look at big-game pitchers in the last 30 years, as far as elite guys in the regular season, he is on a short list with, I think, Roy Halladay and Max Scherzer. That's how good Verlander is. I mean, it's undeniable. He's 0-6, 6-0-7 ERA in eight career World Series starts. His teams have lost six of those eight games. The 6-0-7 ERA is the worst among the 99 pitchers who have at least 30 career innings in a classic. This is not a small sample size. Eight starts in the World Series? I mean, that's, that's insane. He's had that many opportunities and he can't win a game. And it's not like he's 0-8 with a 3.45 ERA. That's an ERA north of six. And the other day, classic Dusty Baker. As much as we love him, the guy is an average in-game manager. He always lets his starters go too long, which is why it was surprising in some ways. He took Javier out after six. You know, come on, that's Dusty. Dusty only goes eight innings with these guys. He did it to Mark Pryor and Kerry Wood back with the Cubs, and he did it to Verlander in his previous start. He probably should have just gone five, and that was it. But once he started to get into a little bit of trouble there, he let him try to work out of it. Ends up being five runs over five innings, another blight on Verlander's resume. Here's the good news for Houston. If they lose this game, they still go back to Houston, game six and seven at home, and they feel confident going back home. For Philadelphia, you've got to win. You can't lose this game and go 3-2 back to Houston. You're not going to win. I mean, maybe you would. Maybe because Zach Wheeler's pitching in game six, but Wheeler got knocked around in game two. They mm-hmm. five runs, four earned. So, so Philly, I feel like, has to win tonight. And at least on paper, Houston has the advantage because of Verlander. But Verlander is not the Verlander of old. Well, Philly's got Syndergaard pitching tonight, but this is not the same Syndergaard who pitched in the World Series back in 2015. Bick, they're asking Thor to just go three or four innings tonight. That's it. And they're going to turn it over to the bullpen. So if the Philly can win tonight with Syndergaard and a bullpen game over Verlander, then I suppose they would have big momentum because then Wheeler goes in game six, and you'd have to think he'd be better than he was last time out. So critical game, I think, for Philadelphia. Even if Verlander stinks up the joint again, Houston can still go home and win six and seven at home. Yeah, I just wonder about the mentality after getting no hit. You know, uh, how, how quickly you're ready to bounce back. Uh, look, obviously these guys are pros, but in this moment, just you, that type of scenario, having to bounce back the day later, uh, I, I'd be curious what we see from Philly tonight. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I mean, we know the cliche, right? Momentum is that day's starting pitcher. Yeah. And these guys can shake it off, but a no hitter is a no hitter. Like, they've had to hear all day today. That's just the second no-hitter in World Series history. And, of course, joins Don Larson's incredible perfect game for the Yankees way back when. That must have some impact, I think, especially as it goes on. Like, I think if you get out to an early start and a couple early runs, you go, hey, no big deal. But if you start to say to yourself, hey, you know, we're struggling to score runs right now, what's happening to the team? Then it comes concerning. They have rebounded to win after each of their previous three losses this postseason, outscoring opponents by a combined 20-3 to margin. So, so far, they've shown a great ability to be a counterpuncher. Can they do so again tonight? They better hope so. Because when the series is tied 2-2, the team that wins Game 5 wins the World Series 70% of the time. It's a big one. 
uh, Bryce Harper, uh, it, it feels, I, I, you know, like I don't want to say we forgot about him, but there's been so much focus on Trout, right? And, and, and Trout and Harper were the thing when they started coming up and then Judge takes over and all that. And, and there's flashy players across the league. But it feels like Bryce Harper kind of needed this moment to remind everyone, hey, like, I'm still here, and he's having a great postseason. Uh, I think he's the one I'm probably most excited to watch tonight as they try to rebound after yesterday. Yeah, I think if you're watching a game objectively, if you're neither a Philly or Houston fan, and to go back to your point, while the World Series may have lost a little bit of sizzle, let's be honest, unless you're a Philadelphia sports fan, unless you're from Philly, people don't often cheer for that city or that sports <laughs> right. team. The Astros, nobody likes the cheating schedule. So that, that kind of goes to your point. This isn't like a cuddly matchup. You go, who the hell is this here for Houston, who cheated back in 2017, or Philadelphia, who has a very obnoxious fan base. That helps, I think, to, the, to your point about trying to find a, you know, a, a team to root for. It makes it a challenge in this year's World Series. But Bryce is incredible. This guy's 30 years of age. He was on the cover of Sports Illustrated at 16 years of age. Did not have great eyesight. Ended up getting contact lenses and was even better than he thought he was previously, which is amazing. Imagine how good Bryce Harper would have been if he had contacts when he was like 14 years old. I can't even imagine. But this is an example of a guy who has really put his team on his shoulders and stepped up when it matters most. Again, you look at the World Series, you look for players who make this their moment, who shine when the stars are brightest. That is what Reggie Jackson did, what Harper's trying to do. He had a 907 slugging percentage in the NLCS. That's like top five in the history of the LCS, which goes back to 1985. He had that massive home run in the LCS, which propelled them in Game 5 to the World Series. And I'm with you. I think if you just are watching baseball as a casual fan, you go, hey, that Bryce Harper guy's pretty good, huh? He's won two MVPs. If he wins a World Series, he will always be linked to Mike Trout, but now he can one-up Trout and go, you know what? You won't have three MVPs, but I got two, and I got that World Series ring, and I've been a big reason why my team has been so good. For sure. I, I can't remember who wrote this, but I, I just saw it written. It's like, should they stop pitching to him? Right. And, and look, we get to the stage of the series, only a handful of games left. And you start thinking of all these ideas. Uh, is that uh, out there or is that uh, in there for an idea to stop pitching to him the rest of the way? here? It's not a bad idea because of the fact how fearsome he's been. He's hitting over 400 this postseason. Like he has been a one man wrecking crew. And mm-hmm. eventually, if you've got a runner on second on open base, you say, let me take my chances with somebody else. Like, let me let, uh, you know, Alec Bohm or JT Realmuto or Bryson Stott or Kyle Schwarber, obviously, it's ahead of him, but let any of these other guys beat me rather than Harper. So I, I think that's definitely going to be something, especially late in innings. It doesn't fit with Houston's M.O. because they feel like an aggressive team, but I think you're right. If, if Bryce is in a pivotal spot, I wouldn't pitch to him. And if you don't intensely walk him, as you and I know, you can always pitch around him, not give him anything good to hit, kind of nibble the corners, hope he chases, and take your chances with the next guy. What's the the postseasons that you kind of relate this to? I, I guess I'm trying to think of like uh, Ortiz in 2013. You know, Beltran had a couple of big ones in, in recent memories. Uh, what playoff runs stand out to you for individual batters here uh, that that Harper is kind of likening himself to? Well, you nailed it. It makes me think of Poppy in 2013. Yeah. I covered that World Series. I never watched it. I think he hit like I'm not kidding, 550, which was just insane. Like when you think how hard it is to hit a baseball. If you can do it 30% of the time, you'll get in the Hall of Fame. When you can almost double that, that's what Ortiz was doing. Like, it was just ungodly every single time he got up there. And it wasn't just making contact, Vic. It wasn't like dinking and dunking. clutch hits like he was over hitting. and over again. Correct. Like, your clutch hits, massive hits, doubles, you know, home runs. Like, every time Poppy was up, you knew it felt inevitable that he would step up and do it. So, yeah, I, I think Harper, you know, if Philly wins, 
he's going to have to be good. He's not going to go 0 for 4 and Philadelphia wins the game. He will have to be important for this team to win. And if he does so, it, it will be shades of Poppy. And um, again, I just think it's great for the sport. Like he was anointed as the next one so many years ago. And Philadelphia had the 11th best record in the regular season. Not one soul thinks they're going to be back in the World Series next year. They got hot at the right time. They have to capitalize now. He can say, I'm 30 years old. I got a World Series. Because guess what? Next year, the Braves are favored ahead of them. So are the Mets. This is your moment. You're two wins away. Hopefully, Bryce can seize the day. Yeah, I just pulled it up. Uh, Poppy hitting a 688 in the World Series. Like, it's just. (laughs) Right? Just crazy. Wow. Uh, White Sox uh, make a hire. You know, we we talked last season or at at the start of the season, and, and this is a team that. You know, the, we, we we can look at the players and say, okay, there's a lot of things to be excited about, but you wondered how the Tony LaRusse thing was going to play out. It just didn't go well. Um, what do you like about this hire? Well, it's interesting. You know, for Chicago, they've been so underwhelming, but you know the collection of talent is there. And all year you kept saying, oh, the White Sox will figure out. The White Sox will figure it out. And eventually they didn't. They had that huge series against the Guardians in September. It was a three-game set, two weeks left in the year. They got swept. And you go, honestly, when you're hovering around 500, you cannot just flip the switch. And ultimately, Tony La Russa is a Hall of Fame manager, but clearly didn't have the pulse of the team, wasn't able to motivate them. I appreciate what the owner, Jerry Reinsdorf, was doing. Kind of felt like a scene out of a notebook, right? La Russa was the one that got away back in the 80s. He went to the A's, went to the Cardinals, won these World Series. Let me bring Tony back. But, I mean, the guy's in his early 70s. And now, unfortunately, in the year, had some health issues. So, LaRusso is an all-time Hall of Fame manager, but he was not able to motivate this team. They needed a new voice. They've got plenty of talent there. Um, Chicago on paper is the best team in that division. Cleveland was able to overachieve because the greatness of Terry Francona. That's what a manager can do. They're hoping with LaRusso's exodus that will happen. Uh, talking to Adnan Verk uh, from MLB NHL Network and Cinephile Pod. Uh, what's uh, going to be on your screen this week? Well, interesting. I'm watching Louis Armstrong's Black and Blues, a terrific documentary on Apple Plus. I love jazz. I got big into jazz post-college, and Louis Armstrong is one of the great musicians of all time. People don't realize how talented he was. The hot fives and hot sevens back in the 1920s just changed jazz music and just changed music forever. And he's really been misrepresented, misidentified. People criticize him, thought he was an Uncle Tom. I'll tell you right now, if you just think Louis Armstrong, you think what a wonderful world, which was used to great effect in Good Morning Vietnam, love Robin Williams. This documentary, I thought, was very eye-opening and, and really, really special. Also, I just watched Weird, the Al Yankovic story, which is available on Roku here in America. I'm not sure if it's available back home in Canada, but I talked to the writer and director. He was really funny, so uh, you can check that out next week on Cinephile. This week on Cinephile, speaking of baseball, say hey. Documentary on Willie nice. Mays is on HBO November 8th. I talked to Colin Hanks. That's right. We got Hanks. Not Tom, but his son Colin is a huge San Francisco Giants fan. He produced the documentary. You can make a case, Vic. Mays is the greatest player of all time. I know Babe's numbers were absurd in the 20s, but that was pre-integration. Mays is a person of color who played 24 years, hit 660 home runs, incredible defense. It's a really cool documentary. I encourage people to check out my interview with Colin Hanks and the director, Nelson George. Hey, we appreciate it as always, man. Uh, We'll talk next week, and we'll have a World Series champion by then. Can't wait, Vic. We'll talk soon, bud. Thanks for answering the phone, Adnan. we got to run here. Uh, Canuck Central on the way. Dan Riccio, Satya Shaw, itching to get into the studio here on the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650.